Welcome to Detroit Today. I'm Jake Neer. I'm sitting in for Stephen Henderson today, who is on vacation this week. It's 2018, and that means it's an election year. If you were looking for a respite from hot-button political issues in the new year, I hate to break it to you, this is shaping up to be a very significant year in politics. That's certainly true on the national level, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later with NPR White House correspondent Tamara Keith. But it might be especially true here in Michigan. You could say all of state government is up for election. We'll elect a new governor, a new attorney general, a new secretary of state. The entire state legislature is up for election, uh, as are all of our U.S. representatives. And we'll have a U.S. Senate seat up for a statewide vote. And that's not even taking into account some of the major ballot proposals voters could decide here in Michigan in November. That includes a significant overhaul of the way we draw congressional and legislative lines here in Michigan. That could be something we decide, as well as a proposal to legalize marijuana in Michigan. It's going to be a huge year. And here to help us break it down a little bit is Rick Pluta, State Capitol Bureau Chief for the Michigan Public Radio Network. Rick, welcome to Detroit Hi. Today. Hi, Jake. Yeah. So, uh, you know, let's start with sort of the broad strokes here. I I said recently, I've been saying it for a while, I think 2018 could shape up to be the biggest non-presidential election year here in Michigan that I can remember, at least. You've got a few years on me when it comes to covering (laughs) state uh, state government here in Michigan. Uh, What do you think? Do you think that that's a fair assessment? Are we looking at a really significant year? Well, I, I, I think that's an inescapable conclusion that every because of term limits, uh, every single one of our uh, major executive offices is uh, open, uh, you know, governor, lieutenant governor, which, of course, they run as a ticket, attorney general, secretary of state, um, that we are going to have waves of people leaving the state house and the state Senate. And just because I'm going to use the word again, wave, um, because of the wave mm-hmm. elections that we've had and just the uncertainty, the political uncertainty that exists in the age of Trump, mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's really impossible to predict what, ha- what will happen and what the ramifications of that will be going forward. Because, you know, when you have a lot of new people in those chairs, that means that you've got a lot of new uh, policies and a lot of new uh, political disputes that are going to be uh, fomenting. Sure. And, and in Michigan, obviously, a state that helped propel Donald Trump into the White House in 2016. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was, for a long time, we've been considered in in some ways a a bellwether. uh, I mean, in certain ways, although we, for many years, elected or we, we, we voted for Democrats in presidential elections. But I think now especially, right, that Michigan well, is is inherently, no matter what happens, we are going to be under a very uh, focused, uh, you know, uh, uh, lens in the national perspective here, right? I mean, people are going to be well, paying attention to what we do here. Yeah, well, certainly regions of the state have been considered bellwethers for a long time. Macomb County, Oakland County, that, that we watch those trends to sort of portend what we're going to be seeing um, um, in other places across the state and across the country. Michigan was considered at least presidentially and for federal offices to be a reliably blue state. And, Mm -hmm. you know, what we've found is that we're really more of a uh, more of a purple state that that we know that a Republican or a Democrat can win uh, statewide in Michigan, um, which means that, uh, you know, Debbie Stabenow, even though um, I'm not seeing her on any of the races to watch lists right now, has 
you know, has, has got to be a little bit nervous, although she is a politician who's always sort of followed the uh, um, um, the axiom that there are only two ways to run, either scared or unopposed. <laughs> and, um, you know, so... Or against you know, Kid Rock, which she doesn't have to worry about this year. Which she does not have to worry right. about. Well, that was, that was I would uh, argue, one of the most exaggerated uh, political <laughs> stories of, uh, of 2017. Well, and but... Anyone- like- what you just said about the unpredictable nature of politics in 2018. I mean, I think, it, you know, maybe it was overplayed, but uh, after 2016, who could tell whether or not that was serious? I mean, I think it was a legitimate it question. It was easy to tell if it was serious, Jake, that <laughs> he wasn't doing any of the things that are legally required uh, well, of a candidate to do. There is like that. The, sure. signals, the signals were, were, were certainly there. Yeah. But, but again, you know, as you said, uh, look, you know, we have... So many seats in state government, like like we've said, mm-hmm. that basically the entire uh, the the entire state government, the positions that are up for election are up for election in 2018, mm-hmm. and and we're at sort of this crossroads right now as a state. Oh, absolutely. And and so it is really tough to say what will happen. Uh, although, let's talk a little bit about the state house and senate. I mean. Those have been uh, controlled by Republicans, uh, at least both of them at the same time since 2011, after the 2010 mm-hmm. election, and they've held the governor's seat for as long as that. Uh, but the state Senate especially has been really reliably held by the Senate. Since what the do you 1980s, think, yeah. Yeah, what do, what do you think are the, uh, the chances that Democrats have a chance of flipping either of those uh, in 2018, I mean, are we at a point? We'll talk more about redistricting in a little bit, but it seems like the way that the lines are drawn, it's tough for Democrats to gain control, especially in the state Senate. And, and not just the way that the lines are drawn, that, that certainly redistricting matters, but it's not the only factor in the equation that you know decides that 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 determines um, elections. But uh, on the state Senate side, you know, Senate majority has has been sort of the holy grail for Democrats in, in Michigan for a long time, that uh, in the early 1980s, Republicans seized control as the result of a couple of special elections after um, a couple of Democrats were recalled over an income tax vote. And, you know, every every election for Democrats, it's it's been sort of next year in Jerusalem, next year in <laughs> Jerusalem when it comes to the uh, you know, when it comes to the state Senate. Um, and right now, their numbers are so small that it would take a pretty major wave for Democrats to um, take control. Twenty seven mm-hmm. Republicans right now. A, a, a meager 11 Democrats. Right. So that would be a, a major switch. The state house has toggled back and forth since the um, 1990s when Republicans first, um, you know, uh, uh, not gained control, but won an even split in the legendary shared power session. Um, and then it's, you know, the, that control has, has moved back and forth between the two. So the state house is always kind of an open question. Sure. Um, and, and, and let's talk a little bit about the governor's race in a second. I'll remind listeners that you're sure. listening to Detroit Today. Uh, we're talking with Rick Pluta. He's the state capitol bureau chief for the Michigan Public Radio Network, and we are talking about the year ahead in politics. And we want to hear from you. Have you been paying attention to the candidates for governor in Michigan this year? Do you think we'll be voting this year on whether to change how districts are drawn in the state? 
Are you excited about the prospect of being able to decide that question? Uh, or are there other ballot questions or legislative measures you're tracking? Maybe you'd like to see uh, the legislature act on uh, the issue of the LGBTQ communities and their, having their civil rights codified into state law. Uh, how about pot legalization in Michigan? How, how do you feel about the idea that we could legalize marijuana and regulate it like alcohol uh, or even gun control? Is that another issue that you think is something that you hope uh, is it comes up in Michigan in 2018? Give us a call. The number is 313-577-1019. Again, that's 313-577-1019. And, and Rick, uh, again, let's talk about how this governor's race is shaping up right now. I think uh, mm-hmm. we have been talking about this one for quite a long time now because I think a lot of the candidates that are running have had this aspiration for a long time. But who, who is shaping up to be a viable candidate, does it seem like, at this point? Well, it's, it's still early on. And, um, if it doesn't you follow- feel that way if you've been following it, though. <laughs> well, look— um, you know, you and I have been following, you know, this this emerging governor's race since right. Rick Snyder began his second term. And of course, governors are, uh, are, are are term limited. And we all had a pretty good idea that on the Republican side, Bill Schuette was going to get into the race. Brian Kelly was going to get into the race. And then, you know, we were looking to see uh, who else. Um, and then on the Democratic side, uh, Gretchen Whitmer made sure that uh, her name was, uh, um, you know, know, was being talked about pretty much uh, out of the gate. Now, and, and, and I want to be careful about not just, um, you know, making this a Republican, you know, a generic Republican versus a generic Democrat kind of, uh, kind of discussion, because these primaries are going to be consequential, and they are somewhat reflective of, um, you know, what we see going on across the country, although there are uniquely Michigan aspects to it. But on the Republican side, if we had a Governor Bill Schuette versus a Governor Brian Kelly, that these would be two very different sorts of Republican governors. And I think you could say the same thing on the Democratic side if you were talking about a Gretchen Whitmer versus, say, an Abdul El-Sayed. Right, sure. And, and yeah. you know, when we're talking, what's interesting to me about this is in the 26th, and not that those are the only candidates in oh, the field. Sure, I just absolutely. Those out as, These are sort of the, the the highest profile candidates, the ones we've been hearing the most from and the most sort of mm-hmm. buzz about. Um, and and they're entering, I think, a period in this campaign where really they have to start lining up the institutional support behind them if if they have a chance. Oh, they've of, already entered that. I mean, yeah. the, the, the the institutional support is lining up behind uh, candidates right now. Sure. And it's you know one of the things that we're always looking for is you know the late entry who's going to uh, change things. Up somehow, but uh, it's you know campaigns just begin so far out at this point. You know what's called the invisible campaign, where as, as you said, you know people are lining up institutional support, uh, setting up fundraising networks and volunteer networks and things like that. That it just becomes harder and harder for um, you know a, a late breaking game changer. Yeah, and and what do you think about the idea of? where voters are with these candidates as you said it's early on so so you know a lot of voters mm-hmm. i don't think have made their decisions of course but uh, when it comes to name recognition especially i mean you know abdul al sayed is someone who has only been around for a short period of time he's young mm-hmm. uh, he is known in detroit to some extent for being the uh, health director here in the city for for a period of time 
but uh, he's he's sort of a, a new uh, face in Michigan politics. Gretchen Whitmer's been around for a while, but she is someone who is who who, who I don't know if a lot of voters really the, are the, familiar the, the with her. The would suggest that she is still largely unknown across right. the state. So especially on the Democratic side, I would say, you know, what do you think? Uh, how do you think this shapes up in terms of it seems like there are a lot of names on that side of the field that people might not be completely familiar with, uh, whereas on the Republican side, uh, these are people who have been around maybe a little bit longer in higher profile positions who mm-hmm. might be more well known to voters. It's sort of an interesting dynamic, I think, going forward in 2018. Mm-hmm. Well, Bill Schutte certainly has very, very high ra- uh, name recognition, although um, in part it's because of the um, controversies that he's courted in terms of uh, same-sex marriage and um, lawsuits against the Obama administration and uh, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian Kelly, of course, is closely associated with the uh, Snyder administration since he's part of it. <laughs> right. Um, and, um, you know, there's also actually uh, we should point out that right now the only name, the only person who is actually qualified for the primary ballot at this point is a little-known doctor from the Saginaw area <laughs> named uh, Jim Hines. Right. So, right. And, and that's on, uh, you know, on, on either side. On the Democratic side, that you know, they're going about you know, trying to establish name recognition and all of that and you know, trying to create some uh, positive associations. And an interesting wild card over there is um, there's Bill Cobb, who is a retired business person who's trying to, you know, grab that left flank of the uh, Democratic coalition, and Sri Tanadar, mm-hmm. uh, an immigrant from uh, India and a uh, successful business person and scientist in his own right, who's um, the big game changer from him is that he's got a ton of money to spend and he is trying to build um, his identification. Right. And and Shri is an interesting candidate because uh, you you could draw, I think uh, he might get some heartburn if we said this, but you might draw a line or at least be able to compare a little bit to sort of him as a wild card the same way that Rick Snyder was back in, uh, you know, 2009, around that same time in the 2010. If that gives him heartburn, then he better get used to heartburn because it's an apt comparison. (laughs) Well, sure, because he's a self. I mean, he's he's sort of he's 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 a he's he's a self-made businessman in a lot of respects. Mm -hmm. He's an unknown political quantity in many ways, Um, and he's someone who uh, people have not been talking about for a long time. But uh, you know, who who has the money and uh, it seems like the drive uh, to try to make this happen for himself. What 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 makes Sri Tenedar matter is that he comes with his own built-in funding mechanism, which is his personal fortune. Sure, absolutely. Uh, and, and, and I think what's going to be interesting here especially is in, in 2016, the Democrats on a national level had this sort of big rift, right, that uh, mm-hmm. there was the, the Bernie Democrats, you had supporters of Hillary Clinton, and then you had sort of everyone else. But it seems like uh, that caused major uh, issues internally in the party. Uh, and mm-hmm. it's going to be really interesting to see what Democrats do in 2018 moving forward now that they have lost control. Now in Michigan, they don't control any aspect of state government. Nationally, they don't control any aspect of national government. They really are the resistance party at this point. Uh, mm-hmm. What does that mean for those political rifts? Uh, and, and I think that's an open question. But, um, it, it, you know, for someone like Gretchen Whitmer, someone who's actually been 
uh, part of the party establishment, you could argue here in Michigan for a while now, uh, going up against someone, let's say, like Abdul El-Sayed or, or Sri Tanadar, uh, people who are sort of trying to set themselves up as, especially uh, Abdul, as someone who is sort of a Bernie progressive Democrat. Uh, do those questions matter in 2018 the same way that they did in 2016? Sure. Well, well you really asked two questions to two particular points. One is that, sure, in the midterm elections, the resistance party is a good place to be Mm -hmm. because people are, um, voters are very likely to um, vote against whatever they see happening in Washington, especially coming out of the White House. And that's regardless of which party holds it. But right now, it's the Republicans, and we have a very controversial uh, Republican president, you know, at the moment. But the other... Yeah. (laughs) But the other aspect is one can... Democrats heal that rift between the quote unquote establishment and the um, Bernie Kratz. And then this is really, really significant in Michigan politics is can Democrats turn out the voters who would typically go with them? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's Democrats haven't been losing elections in Michigan because persuadables have been going in a particular direction. Democrats have been losing statewide elections in Michigan because the Typical Democratic voters are largely uninspired to turn out, mm. and that's the problem that uh, they've got to uh, that they've got to fix. That there is a saying in Democrat Democratic politics, um, which is you know it's it, it's both ironic and true, is that when Democrats vote, Democrats win. Right, right, sure, yeah, and that and that is true in Michigan. Yeah, yeah. You're listening to Detroit Today. I'm Jake Neer. I'm sitting in for Stephen Henderson today, who is off on vacation this week. We're speaking with Rick Pluta, State Capitol Bureau Chief of the Michigan Public Radio Network. We're talking about the year ahead in politics. What kind of craziness is 2018 going to bring that 2017 may or may not have brought already? What are the questions that we will be deciding on the ballot in 2018 as voters here in Michigan? And we really want to hear from you. Uh, We're talking specifically right now about how voters are feeling heading into 2018. How do you feel? Are you fired up? Are you ready to, to go to the to the polls and, and make some big decisions here for Michigan and for the country, uh, both in the primaries and in the general election in November? Uh, do you think that Michigan will see a Democrat as governor in the next term? Do you think that there's a chance that party control can shift in the state legislature? How about in Congress? Uh, or do you think Republican Trumpism, the sentiment, is growing as we saw in the race for president in 2016? Do you think that there's a direct line that will continue there? The number to call is 313-577-1019. Again, that's 313-577-1019. And Rick, I really want to talk a little bit about these ballot proposals that we're going to oh, see. Sure. Because as I said at the top of the uh, the, the conversation here today, I really do think that 2018 could be one of the biggest non-presidential election years we've seen sort of already. But with these, and, and I think we're going to be under a microscope nationally, but I think mm-hmm. that is especially true because of the possible ballot questions that we're going to be seeing uh, in 2018. Uh, start off with with gerrymandering, this idea that, uh, you know, obviously the party in control has too much control over how these lines are drawn. That's the argument being made by this group, Voters Not Politicians, that's trying to really change the way and and, and find a fair way, as they, as they call it, to draw these congressional lines, these legislative lines. 
Um, this is a really interesting group because it is it's been a, a very grassroots it's been an all grassroots ref, uh, effort mm-hmm. uh, and they have not had to pay for these signatures that they turned in they have a big uh, they have a big uh, sort of uh, uh, cushion here of signatures so it looks like they're in they're well positioned to make the ballot in 2018 but we don't see this too often with a group that's really grassroots that doesn't pay to get these signatures collected it's sort of uh, an anomaly in Michigan politics Oh, it's absolutely an anomaly. It's 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 a it's it's a phenomenon that um, the, you know what what they've been able to pull off so far. Now we'll see what happens as they go through the process of having um, their petitions, um, you know, checked and uh, certified. But but they seem to have a lot of signatures, and uh, it's pretty much unheard of um, for an all volunteer organization, even Right to Life of Michigan, the anti-abortion group that. Um, does you know you know quote unquote uh, um, grassroots uh, petition drives from time to time has a full time uh, political staff you know organizing at the uh, you know at, at 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 the top of it but mm-hmm. this was volu- you know this was volunteer from top to bottom right and this question I think is is also and interesting. I think people were surprised right? I, I mean when, when, and when I say people I mean me <laughs> uh, you know maybe you um, were um, surprised at the um, passion and skill that this group brought to the effort oh, sure. and to the fact that they were just able to um, capture the uh, you know the public's mood that um, I remember watching them you know uh, uh, four or five months ago as they were putting this thing together and I mean this was this was just a group of amateurs and they weren't ready for prime time right. well you know, so much why am i on here because i'm so smart (laughs) well rick Um, yeah nice talking to you no i'm just kidding yeah Uh, no what they what they pulled off is is um you know is is nothing short of stunning gerrymandering uh, this issue is something that a lot of political onlookers spend a lot of time thinking about and sort of uh you know that that i think a lot of politicos are fired up about this this is not an issue that i think the public at large is generally thought of to be a really sort of fire up your base kind of issue. Yeah, this is it, something it, it did it did not seem that way and yet it was. It was apparently and it, of course if you went out anywhere this summer you saw these folks and they were they were pretty aggressive in terms of trying to get you to, to sign your name on these petitions so they were you know very uh, they were obviously uh, very motivated to to get this on the ballot, but uh, it, that's mm-hmm. that's an interesting one. It's going to be interesting also to see if we uh, if we see that affect turnout also in 2018, and that also with with pot legalization, with with the idea of legalizing marijuana, those things together. I know uh, as you've mentioned before that ballot proposals don't necessarily lead to voter turnout, but uh, these two things together, uh, plus ballot, the yeah, idea ballot of proposals don't. Typically, typically drive up turnout, sure. but sometimes they do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I want to take uh, one quick call here before we get to the break here. Uh, Emmanuel in West Bloomfield, you're, uh, what you, uh, welcome to Detroit Today. Well, good morning and Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year to you, too. Well, Happy New Year. my concern is John Conyers' district. Mm-hmm. We, if, if this election is not going to be held for him, until sometime in 2018, do the people in his district have to pay taxes? Because they'll have 
taxation without representation. Yeah. yeah. Emmanuel, I, I appreciate that question. I, I I think I can answer your question. Yes, you will I, have to I think to it was a rhetorical to... question yes, to make a point. I, I think yeah. that is true, but 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 it is an interesting one because, you know, obviously we've had uh, uh, Congressman Conyers, he uh, resigned from his seat after uh, the sexual misconduct scandal that he faced, and now the governor has called a special election to fill that seat, but the general election won't happen until November when the permanent uh, uh, you know, election to fill his seat also takes place. So we're, we'll have the better part of a year where that seat will not be filled. And uh, so that's that's an interesting one. That's another race that's shaping up to be pretty interesting. Rick, do you have any sort of uh, idea of, uh, you know, how that one's shaping up so far? Well, sure. Well, we, we've talked about this on the show before. And um, one of the candidates is actually filing a, a federal lawsuit to try and um, force the election um, sooner mm-hmm. than, uh, than November. And I, I, I think there were two uh, um, aspects to the calculus in this. And one is just the expense of holding an election outside one of the um, normal uh, election days. But the other one is uh, turnout that yeah. uh, we knew. We know that if there is a special election um, that's that's off the usual calendar, that the turnout will be a lot lower, mm-hmm. that um, there's a lot more possibilities, especially if the field is crowded, for a, a fringe candidate to um, win the primary and the Democratic primary will be decisive in in the uh, old Conyers district. And uh, I, I think that this is an effort to try and hold the election when you're getting as many voters as possible in order to get the most mainstream candidate possible through the primary. Uh, primary process. Yeah. And although, uh, you know, there is this lawsuit, I mean, my understanding of the state constitution is that the governor has wide latitude to decide when that election happens. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, that, that basically there there's no timeline that he has to really stick to to hold that special election. So it seems to me like maybe that lawsuit has, you know, I'm not a legal scholar, but, um, you know, uh, it seems like that will be a tough hill to climb. Michigan law gives the governor discretion to decide when the special election uh, will be held. I think the question is, you know, how a federal judge is going to view the argument that, um, you know, that the uh, voters of uh, the Conyers district are going to be left unconstitutionally without representation for a long period of time. But we have certainly seen instances, not often, um, where, you know, seats have remained open um, for, you know, that period of time. Um, I remember in the 1990s when uh, Teola Hunter became the Wayne County clerk and John Engler left her state house seat open for almost Mm. a year. Right. Well, uh, we'll have to leave it there. Rick Pluta, State Capitol Bureau Chief with the Michigan Public Radio Network. Thank you so much for joining us on Detroit Today. Pleasure, Jake. Nice to have the team back together again. Absolutely. Coming up, we'll shift gears and talk about the year ahead in national politics with Tamara Keith from NPR. 